hope you've all had a, a good Christmas, that you're nice and rested, ready for this new year. So welcome to 2019, just in case anybody hasn't formally welcomed you, you are officially welcomed. I don't know how you're feeling about this year, about 2019. We got anyone in here feeling maybe optimistic? Got some optimistic? Opt- yeah, got some good people. Anyone a bit apprehensive? We've got Brexit on the horizon. Don't mention it. Is anyone excited for this year? Or is maybe someone just a little bit unsure? But in preparation for this message this morning, I've listened back to some of the previous year's New Year's messages. And you can go onto SoundCloud and you can go and listen back years and years back and We've had some really practical lessons in some practical years with setting New Year resolutions and different things that you can do to make this year the best year. But this morning, I would like to focus on something just a little bit different. And the, the theme and the focus that we've, we've got for today is of hopes and dreams. And for the message this morning... I really believe that God has spoken to me personally, to myself, for what he's saying to me for this year. But I believe that also translates for us as a body and as a church, that actually God has a message for us of what he wants to outwork through this year. And the message that I want to share with you this morning has come out of the the journey that I've personally been on over the last few years. And for those of you that know me and have journeyed with me, you'll know that, that it's, been, it's been an interesting couple of years. And this morning, I'd like to, to share some of that with you. But this year for me is, uh, personally, it's a big year. And the reason for that is because I turned 30 in August. <laughs> yeah. And there's something strange about approaching 30. So 18 didn't bother me, 21 didn't bother. But coming to 30 is a little bit different. And I think there's a, there's a few reasons for this. You know, one reason maybe, you know, maybe we think we should have it all together by with this age. That, you know, that maybe that you're going to be married, that maybe, you, you know, you've started a family or, you know, you're stuck into a career. But one of the things that sticks out to me about turning 30 is that this was the age that Jesus was when he began his public ministry. And for me, that puts a bit of pressure on. Not that we should compare, but we can compare to Jesus. I'm like, man, Jesus had it together by this age. Well, one of the big things that has really been freaking me out is that the older that I get, the younger that I realize some of our young people are. So, you know, I'm working with 15, 16-year-olds, and I've realized I am now twice their age, (laughs) that I have lived double their lifetimes. It's kind of I've lived my lifetime twice of theirs. And getting my head around it, it, it's been a little bit of a, a struggle And as I say, this message this morning, it's coming out thinking about some of this. Uh, Now, do we have have any 60-year-olds in here this morning? Is anyone in their 60s? We've got a few waves. So you're double my age. You know what I'm talking about this morning, don't you? 
But, you know, deep down inside, I'm a big kid. I asked for an Xbox for Christmas. You know, deep down inside, I'm still that 15-year-old lad. But coming to this new year and thinking about this new year, it's caused me to really start begin or beginning to think about my mortality, which I realize is a very morbid question. Some of you are thinking, Rob, you're so young still. But it's, it's big. I've began to start thinking about, you know, what is it that I'm going to leave behind on this planet when I'm gone? You know, what legacy is it that I'm going to leave behind? What am I doing now that is going to have a lasting impact? And the phrase that God has given me for this morning and that the title for the message today is simply this, Year to Invest. And this morning, I want to unpack what I believe God is saying to us as a body of people of what it looks like for us to invest in this year. But to begin with this morning, I'd like to start by reading out to you the dictionary definition of that word, invest. And we'll have it up on the the screen behind me. So to invest is this. It is to devote one's time, effort, and energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. The expectation of a worthwhile result. And for me, as of this year, I want to start intentionally investing with my time, my effort, and my energy to see a return. And this phrase, this year to invest, for me, and I believe for us as a church, it's got just as much to do with physically investing in the here and now as it does about investing into eternity. And I'm going to explain what I mean by investing in eternity. And the way I want to do that is by reading something to you from the book of Matthew chapter 6. And this is Jesus talking to us. And the, the title for this passage is Lay Up Treasures in Heaven. So Matthew six nineteen to 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I love this passage and these words of Jesus because it gives us a picture of how we can invest in eternity. It warns us not just to build our treasures here on earth where they can be destroyed, but actually that we should lay up our treasures in heaven. And the point that that I I want to pull out of here is that Jesus tells us that wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So if it's okay this morning, I'd like to get a little bit vulnerable with you, and I'd like to share with you that a part of the journey that that I've been on these last couple of years that I believe has brought me to a place where God can now say to me, this is your year to invest. And as I alluded to, you know, I've been on a journey. And if I'm completely honest, that the journey that I've been on, it's caused my heart, it's caused my focus, and it's caused my attention 
to not be in the right place. And within the, the, the company that I worked for, I had the opportunity to change roles. And I went into a sales-based role. And this is something that I'd never done before. It was something that was completely new to me and required me to go on quite a steep learning curve. And I'm sure some of you appreciate that when you've changed to a new role. Now, one of the things about me is that my, one of my character strengths and my personality traits is that actually I can be a bit of an achiever. I'm all about those tick boxes and accomplishing things. But the other part of my personality is that I can be a bit competitive as well. And the problem is when you put these two things together is that you get someone who wants to achieve a lot and is very competitive And as a result, I can have a tendency of doing things in my own strength and striving for things in my own strength rather than allowing God to work through me. And if I'm being completely honest, this is exactly what I ended up doing. In the space of a couple of months within the company that I work for, my two other colleagues, the two other salesmen, left the company and and went elsewhere And this put straight away pressure on me to perform as I was suddenly the only salesperson within the company looking after the whole of the UK. We had another big change in the company when it was bought out by a larger group. And in the space of a a couple of months, I was thrown into an existing sales team of people who were already performing and were already doing well. And it was at this time that, that I really lost my way a bit. Because I stopped storing my treasures in heaven. All of a sudden, my heart was no longer in what was important to me, which was God. and putting God number one. I began to start doing well in sales and getting recognition for the work that I was doing. And if I'm honest, I liked it. Getting this attention fed the desire that I had for affirmation. It fed the desire that I had for purpose. And within that first year of the company being bought, I worked my way up to be the top performing salesman. And it got to the point where I was finding my identity in my success, that I was finding identity in what I was doing as opposed to who God knows that I am. And this, it had an impact on my relationship with God because I I came to an interesting place where I felt like I no longer needed God, that I no longer needed church. And that was only a feeling, it wasn't a reality. But still to be in that place where your reliance is no longer in God is a very scary place to be. Because the problem with this newfound success is that ultimately... It's not fulfilling. I went on to perform well and to be, as I say, the top achiever. I set new company records and then I smashed company records that I set. And it's been in this season that I've I've been able to save for things that I've always wanted. I've been able to get the car that I've always wanted. I've been able to move house. And I've been able to, to do the things that I thought would make me happy. But deep down inside, I knew I wasn't. I was still unsatisfied. And actually, I'd lost my joy that had once been in God. I was struggling with anxiety. 
as I was putting constant pressure on myself to perform and do well. Some would say that I had a crisis of faith. And the thing that I thought would make me happy and feel fulfilled, it just didn't. And in Ecclesiastes 1, King Solomon talks about everything in life being meaningless. And I remember going through this season just being like, it is feeling like it's pretty meaningless. But it was in this season, this dark night of the soul, that I realized that only God could fulfill me. No amount of success, money, or materialistic things could satisfy me. I'd found my God-shaped hole that only God could satisfy. And this is a lifelong journey that we're on, and none of us will ever get to that place where we arrive. But each lesson, we can learn something new. And throughout that season, there's been a, a few key Bible passages that really stood out, stood out to me. And I'd encourage you this morning to take notes, to write down these Bible passages, because for me, they've been an absolute lifesaver. And the first one that I'd like to read to you this morning is out of Psalms chapter 34, verse 4 to 7. And it says this, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a God. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. I prayed to the Lord, and he did answer me. He freed me from my fears, and I found that actually I could put my trust in him that my life was filled with a new joy. It was fresh, and it was a positive outlook on life. And the conclusion from this lesson, and taking a leaf from Solomon's life, is that actually, life is meaningless. But it's only meaningless without God. We can have everything we would ever want, but actually, if we don't know Jesus, if we don't have Jesus in our lives then life ultimately is empty. So the first question that I would like us to ask ourselves this morning is this. What are we investing in? Jesus taught us that we can store our treasures in heaven and that we can invest in eternity. But this morning I want to ask the question, what does that look like? And in this next passage that I would like to read, Jesus spells out what it means to be one of his followers. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 27, it says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of the Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? In order to follow Jesus, we must be willing to lay down our own desires, 
and put God first. This sometimes means that we need to change the way that we're living our lives. It may be the case that we need to stop doing actions that deep down inside we know are not spiritually healthy for us and start putting practices into place that are good for our soul. So as I mentioned, my title for this morning is Year to Invest. And I would like to propose that we all invest in what moth and rust cannot destroy. And for me, I want my life to mean something, to have an eternal impact. And my question for you is, do you want the same? What is your legacy? What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to remember you for? And as I said, I've got a lot of passages this morning because I love the Bible. But the, the next one that I'd like to read to you is out of Matthew 6.33. And Jesus tells us in response of putting God first and investing in this way that we are told that everything else will be ours as well. So Matthew 6.33, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. And I can personally testify that when you put God number one in your life, you then position yourself to receive blessings and favor in your life. But in order to invest something, we need to recognize that we first have something to give. And as I prayed about this morning, there was a particular word that, that, that stood out to me. And I believe that for some people here this morning that you will relate to this word, that you would associate yourselves with this word. And it's this, bankruptcy. I believe that there are people here this morning that you feel like you have nothing to offer. And I've got the definition here of what it is to be bankrupt. And it's this, bankruptcy is a legal status of a person or other entity who cannot repay debts to creditors. In most jurisdictions, bankruptcy is imposed by a court order, often initiated by the debtor. And I want to read to you another passage, and this one's from Galatians 3. And it tells us that actually the human race has been indebted and bankrupt to sin. For it says this, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. The Apostle Paul here talks about how all of humanity have sinned. And as a result of our wrongdoing, we are all prisoners. As a result of the things that we get wrong, that actually we are condemned to death. We've become indebted to sin. But the amazing good news of Jesus is that when he died on the cross, he paid for our bankruptcy. He took us out of debt with death. And Jesus gives us eternal life in the place of death. John 10.10 10 tells us that the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus' purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin of de is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
When Jesus died on the cross for us, it was an exchange for life. This life is something that we can give back. In return for Jesus giving his all, we are required to give him our all. Now, you might not have heard this before, but in order to follow Jesus, you must be prepared to give up your way of life. And you know what? God has the right to ask this of us. But the amazing thing is that God is a good father. And as a good father, he loves us and he wants nothing but the best for our lives. And what you may actually find is some of the things that you lay down, God actually asks you to pick them up again. So what does it look like to invest in eternity? The second question that I want to ask ourselves this morning is how are we investing? So how is it, if this is the year to invest, how are we going to invest? How are we going to store our treasures in heaven How do we have an eternal impact? And I've got three points that I'd like to give you, three ways that you can invest this year. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a few examples that I've thought up this morning. But Matthew 16, 23, Jesus tells us, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. As a result of being indebted to sin, we are destined to die. But by giving our lives to Jesus, we are making an investment in eternity. We cross from death over to life. And this morning, you can choose life. You can choose to follow Jesus for the very first time if that's not something you've already done. But for some of us, actually, we need to choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. For some of us, it might be a case that at some point in your life, you made that decision. You said, Jesus, I I invite you into my life. But it was only a partial investment. You held some back. It was almost like you, you kind of were prepared to give a bit to see what, you know, let's see what happens with this Christianity thing. I'm prepared to give a little bit of my life to Jesus, but actually I want to hold back some of it to myself. And this morning, I want to implore you to put your trust completely in Jesus. So the first way that we can invest this year is that we can invest with our time. Colossians 3 verse 23 to 25 tells us that we should work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong that you've done for God has no favorites. This year we can invest with our time and no matter what you're doing, whether it's you going to work, that you're doing to your nine to five, or whether it's you volunteering on a team, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, in whatever way you spend your time this year, you can do it intentionally, doing it as if you were doing it for God himself. And this year, you have the opportunity to get involved here at church, serving your passion and your energy on a team. And if you've never volunteered on a ministry before, today can be that day where you make the decision, 
You know, after the gathering, you'll have the opportunity to go over to the Connect Point and to sign up to serve on one of the amazing ministries that are here in this house. You can intentionally invest your time in reading the Bible or spending more time in prayer. For me personally, I've, in, I've committed to reading the Bible in a year, and this is something that I've done before, but I find it incredibly helpful to daily open God's Word and to spend that time reading about the life of Jesus and many of the other people throughout the Bible, but hearing what is it that God, what is it that you want to say to me today? We can invest our time into relationships that we can spend time with people developing friendships, that you can get alongside one another, that you know, it might be a case that you mentor someone, that you come alongside them and encourage them. You can invest your time by spending it with your family, with your children, with your parents, and intentionally spending that time learning from one another. Because I believe when you do this, your impact doesn't just stop here when we die, but actually it lives on in those that we've impacted. So that's the first way that we can invest. We can invest with our time. The second way that we can invest is that we can invest with our resource. Malachi 3.10 tells us that we should bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out blessings so great that you'll have enough room to t- you won't have enough room to take in it in. Try it, put me to the test. I wholeheartedly believe that the practice of tithing is a biblical principle. It's one that we all must follow. That as God has given his all to us, in return, we have the opportunity to give some of that back to God. And one of the ways that we can do this is by giving a percentage of our income back into the church. In the case of Malachi, it was the temple. And just like in Malachi, we bring our tithe into the storehouse. And this is something that should be done on a regular basis. As this passage tells us, there's a promise that when we give to God, he pours out a blessing in response. Now, this may be in the form of finance, but it could also be in so many other ways. That God would pour out his favor on your life in ways that you could never imagine. And as Paul mentioned just earlier, that at the end of the month, we are going to have our Vision Sunday. And this is where Paul will come and give the focus for this year. And following that, we have the opportunity to give into an offering. And this is known as a first fruits or even a vision offering, where we can give into the vision of the church and believing in advance that God will provide for us in this year. 2 Corinthians 9.6, entitled The Cheerful Giver, says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. By investing your life, by investing your time, and by investing your resources, you are not only making a difference now, but you are going to be investing in eternity and having an eternal impact. And my third and final question this morning, and most probably the most important question that we should ask ourselves 
is why should we invest? Why, why do it? I would like to read to you out of Philippians 3, verse 17 to 21. And this is a, a passage where the Apostle Paul is writing. And Paul says this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things. And they think only about life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he brings everything under his control. The Apostle Paul first tells us that we should pattern our lives after his, that we should follow his example and his teaching. And Paul pointed out in that passage that even all of those years ago, that we live in a world where people make gods out of all sorts of things. And as a result, it is so easy only to think about our time here and our life here on earth. And this is a trap that we can all fall into if we're not careful. But this morning, I want to focus on verse 20, where it tells us that we are citizens of heaven. And for me, this has become something of a life message for myself. For me, I found purpose in this. And for me, I believe it's, it's part of the reason why I've been put on this planet. And, you know, I used to think that when I read that, when I read about being a citizen of heaven, I used to think that it was a case of, it's great, I've received Jesus, I've received eternal life, and now I'm just waiting to die so that we can go to heaven. And I used to think that's what it was, that I didn't belong here, but heaven is my home. And there's an element of that is true. But to understand what the Apostle Paul is writing here, we need to understand the cultural context of what it was to be a citizen. You see, for Paul, he was a Roman citizen, and that was something that was granted to him by birth. But there were those and others that if they wanted to be a citizen of Rome, it was something that they physically had to pay for. When Paul was writing this, Rome... <laughs> Buffering. <laughs> when the Apostle Paul wrote this, and he was writing about being a citizen. At the time, Rome was a, an amazing place, but it was an overpopulated place. There were too many people living in Rome, so much so that it was putting a strain on all of the resources of Rome. So as a result, because there wasn't enough food, at the time, it was decided that any Roman soldiers who were sent out from Rome would never return back home. And as a Roman soldier and as a Roman citizen, it was their duty wherever they went to make that place like Rome. 
that they were called to take all of the benefits with them. And that's why when we, when we look at some of the different cities they've got around this country and around the world, we notice that wherever the Romans went, they put a number of things in place. Quite often they would build roads, that they would build aqueducts and be able to bring water into cities, that they would put sewage systems in place. But also those Roman soldiers, they would bring the culture of Rome with them as well. So that would mean they would bring some of the foods, the, the, the way of life that they had, that they would be expected to take it with them. And they were expected to make that place as much like Rome as they possibly could. And in the same way, I believe that we are citizens of heaven. That even though heaven is our home, that we are called to be a citizen. That we are called to take all of the benefits of heaven with us. It is our job to bring the kingdom of God to earth. To bring the benefits of heaven to earth. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So why do we want to invest in eternity? Why do we want to be citizens of heaven? Why do we want heaven to come to earth? Quite simply, heaven is an awesome place. And we know that in heaven that there is no more pain, that there is no more suffering. And Jesus modeled this throughout his life because wherever he went, he healed the sick. And I believe in that same way, we can follow his example. Because in John 14, verse 12 to 14, Jesus tells, tells us this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me does the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. As a citizen of heaven, we have the same authority that Jesus did. Jesus grants that to us. And we too can see the sick healed that we can see those that are in bondage be set free. As a citizen of heaven, we have access to the wealth and the resource of heaven itself. In Luke 12, verse 29 to 23, Jesus tells, this, tells us this about money and possessions. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the, uh, and the pursuits of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. By being a citizen of heaven, we are able to tap into the power of God. We no longer have to be concerned about life's worries, but actually we can put our trust into God's goodness. When we put God number one and we seek his will above all else, he will give us everything that we need. 
And I've witnessed firsthand what happens when I rely on my own strength. But then I've also seen what happens when we fully trust in God. You know, I believe that in my life I've seen favor in so many different ways. And that actually I've seen God's provision in the supernatural. Going back to that definition of what it is to invest. We have an expectation of a worthwhile result. And I can tell you this morning by investing your life in God, you will have the most worthwhile result possible. And I want to read just one last Bible passage to you. And this is the last one that I promise. And it's that of Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 to 29. And Jesus said this, I assure you, That when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. With all of these passages, we see that when we put our trust in God and give on his behalf, there is always a return. That we have beauty for ashes. That our little becomes a lot. In this particular example, we are promised a hundred times as much in return. And also on top of that, we will inherit eternal life. So just to read one last time to you that definition of what it is to invest. It's to devote one's time, effort, or energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. As we come to a close this morning, I'm going to invite Tim to to come and play on the keys. And I'd like to spend just the next minute or so just spending some time reflecting And responding to what God has been saying to us. And to do this, I'd like to read out to you an old hymn. And it's known as the Heavenly Vision, or it's also known as Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it was written back in 1922, nearly 100 years ago. And I believe that the words of this hymn have so much relevance still today. And I'd like to read this out to you. And just as you respond, I want to encourage you just to close your eyes that this is just the moment where you can just focus on you and your relationship with God and to reflect on the ways that you can invest your life this year. O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Saviour and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more hath dominion For more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him 
and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying his perfect salvation to tell. And just as you have your eyes closed this morning, I'd like to pray. Or I want to give you the opportunity to pray as well. If you're sat here this morning and you're aware that you've never asked Jesus into your life, that you will be unsure what is going to happen to you after you die, then you have an opportunity this morning to respond to Jesus, that you can invest your life into eternity. And you can do that by simply praying this. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I am prepared to give everything that I have to you. I choose to receive your forgiveness so that you would take me out of debt with sin. Jesus, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. So as we go from this place this morning, let's make 2019 the year to invest. And let's give God our all.